Hey, folks, Tom and Keith thanking you for tuning in each and every week to listen to Front Row Knowles via the podcast. And a special thank you to the folks at the Dunlap Champions Club for their continued support of this podcast. A great place to watch Florida State ball game. a great place to have a good time. Remember, you can access the club on Friday night. You can go there on Saturday. You can repeat it on Sunday, an entire weekend of events. Whether it's for personal fandom or if you want to entertain clients, employees, social groups, uh, there's different packages available. You can get a single game uh, ticket experience as well and just sample it uh, at one game this year. Some new features, too, uh, from year one. They've got misters and fans in there, and they also are really emphasizing uh, flavorful food, but with a local connection, local tie, expanded food opportunities. John Rivers of Four Rivers will be in there preparing. Uh, also, you can get Bradley sausage for those of you that remember that. How, how do I get more information? They can get more information by calling uh, 850-644-1830, option one, or you can visit fsuclubseats.com. Thanks again to them and enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith with you. KJ, I'm fired up. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm fired up and has nothing to do with football, but we'll discuss it in this context. Sorry. (laughs) It's only partly related to football. As for football itself, Keith, we are basking in the glow of a 17-10 victory on the road at hallowed Wallace Wade Stadium. That is what is called sarcasm. That is a direct result of beginning one and three. Am I wrong? You're not. You're not wrong. <laughs> it is what it is. We quickly turn the page. We move on to Louisville. We will have our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt join us next segment. Everybody is hugely concerned that the defense won't be able to stop Lamar Jackson and the offense won't be able to get to thirty. The, the consensus seems to be, from listening to others opine on these very airwaves and just people I talk to in general, can FSU get to 30, 35 points? That's what we think is the minimum for, for Florida State to win this game. Do you agree, first of all? I do agree that you're going to have to get more than 30 points unless something you know really unforeseen happens, and, and we don't wish that on anyone. But you know if, if, if injuries or... Uh, catastrophic breakdowns in the kicking game in our favor as opposed to their favor uh that could change things but everything else being equal yeah 30 plus is going to be necessary i believe well here's where we come to the rescue as we do each and every week to make everybody feel better about the state of affairs boston college scored 45 points last week on louisville and they average prior to that game they were averaging less than what fsu averages right now in the 16 points per game range 23 points, 10 points, 20 points, 7 points, 28 points, 10 points. And then they exploded. They found the Louisville defense and racked up 45 points. There you go. Show's over, folks. You feel better? We'll talk to you again next week. No, I mean, that is that is what it is, though. Uh, that That's perhaps, perhaps what Jimbo's offense needs. That said, Jimbo said it. People get tired of hearing it. I sit with him and watch him go through the tape. I thought it during the game on Saturday. 
you would be hard-pressed to play that game out exactly again and only score 17 points based on how they moved the ball up and down. Penalties hurt them, interceptions hurt them, but they did make progress offensively last week. The summation of that is that everything was self-inflicted. Well, if it is self-inflicted, it is controllable and therefore fixable. And I know our listeners get tired of us saying it, but you know, even a holding penalty, a holding penalty is from the shoulders up. I mean, that, that's all on you. And as a result, you can fix that in a play or in a week. And obviously FSU, as to use Jimbo's phrase, has those things to clean up. I do think there's a little bit of an identity emerging, though, and it's a two-headed tailback, and it's moving the quarterback around uh, a little bit at least. Uh, you could run him still more than what you did last week, but even if you don't do that, you, you move the pocket a little bit, as they did you know, three or four times. Uh, and he... You know, for someone who had not been comfortable in the first halves anyway, going tempo a little bit. I mean, for him to go 18 to 21, he was on fire last week. I agree. And and I think that game was a little bit of an aberration also because Florida State only had eight possessions. Those drives were long drives. There were three drives, I believe, over 80 yards or at least three over 10 plays on offenses, uh, FSU side. Uh, Duke, to their credit, had some extended drives. You know, normally you're going to get the ball 11, 12, 13 times a ball game. Uh, as mentioned, only got eight. Obviously, the up-tempo folks want to go 18 or 16 or 18 possessions a game. Somewhere in between, I believe, is is a happy medium. And I think Jimbo would would also say that you know, if you, if you get if you get 10 or 11 possessions against Louisville and you don't score 30 points, then I, that may be on you. We're not going to get into the tempo discussion here. I know it's we've talked about it briefly. At some point, we need to do a, a full show on it. It's a better topic maybe for the off season to go into. Let's actually look at the metrics with a motion removed and and figure out who is, you know, what what are the ultimate results. Here's the question I would pose though, uh, and I know where the al- analytics are on this. I mean, the general theory is more possessions is going to lead to more points, but which is more likely to happen, FSU versus an opponent? FSU's offense scores a touchdown or the opponent scores a touchdown on fsu's defense what you're saying is what is the percentage of possessions that florida state's offense will tally a score versus the percentage of possessions that the opponent will tally a score also recognizing fsu kicks way too many field goals and that would count as a score, but not seven points. I, I know where you're going, and I agree with you. Uh, yeah, I'm just suggesting. I, I know what the analytics are. If you've got better talent, then you'd want to have more plays. You'd want to have more possessions. In theory, if you had twice as many possessions last week, the final score would have been 34 to 20 well, instead of 17 to 10. If you had an experienced quarterback instead of a freshman starting his second that, road game. That's the other reason I don't want to get deep into it right now, because Jimbo has averaged more than 30 points every year he's been at FSU. He didn't forget how to coach football. They've played good defenses. Is it an excuse? Sure. It's also reality. They're playing with the true freshman quarterback. Is it an excuse? Well, maybe, but it's also reality. So I, I have more confidence that Jimbo can get the offense up and going, and maybe Louisville will be the perfect answer for that. Certainly the Louisville defense doesn't present the same challenges that some of the other defenses FSU has gone up against. No question. At least on paper going in. Ah. If you need to feel better than we've made you feel in this segment, the Friday night block party is coming your way at College Town uh, this weekend. Madison Social is uh, literally a, a ringside seat for it. So is Township. But if that's not enough, and you don't like being in the fray, say you're a little bit older, like like Keith here, and you thank don't, you very much, and you don't want to, or me for that matter. Let's be honest. 
uh, you want to stay out of the fray. The gathering is now open. The gathering is the space right above Madison Social, and so you can reserve your spot in there, and uh, then you're not in the fray, but you can witness the fray from you can above. Overlook the fray. This is probably not a, a good way to describe it, but it's sort of like being on a balcony at Bourbon Street. You know, I'm sure that they would not appreciate me describing the Friday night block party that way, but I did. Anyway, the moral of the story is if that interests you, contact Social Catering and uh, tell Matt Thompson and the folks there that we said hello. We will say hello to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, immediately after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. I don't know if that's new walk-up music so much as we move Tim to a different segment as we say hello to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. The Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. But regardless, Tim, it, it's a feel-good week. We're coming off a win. Yeah, no, no, no. I'll take it. I like the song. Get a, get a little more rhythm, a little more good vibes going uh, compared to some of the ones we've had in the last few weeks so uh yeah I, I like it yeah all right we'll stick with it so here we are we're getting ready for louisville and you know what the conversation has been uh, the basic question is how many points does fsu have to score to win this game so i'll start there it's got to be in the 30s right that's our, I, that's our consensus yeah yeah i i you know we, i was actually talking about this with somebody else uh the other day and i think between 31 and 35 is probably where you would we'd have to go to to feel like you've given yourself a chance, and even then, you know, I would probably lean higher. Uh, you know, the thing about it, if you look at Louisville, I mean, they're they're obviously struggling. Uh, the back to back losses, they just gave up forty five to Boston College, which seems almost to defy the laws of physics. But they can still move the ball, and they can still score, and, and Lamar Jackson still putting up super numbers. So, yeah, you're going to have to score to, uh, outscore them to beat them. I and mean, that's what Boston College did. Do you get a sense, and I know Jimbo has not classified this as a re- revenge game, nor will he ever classify a game as a revenge game, but do you get a sense that the players on the defense are embarrassed, i.e., or using last year's events as motivation for this week? You know, I really don't. And, and, and not just because most of the guys that have said that, that they're not. Um, but I kind of feel like they almost have more pressing concerns. You know, like Florida State needs this game and Louisville needs this game to kind of uh, continue the, the season turnaround or if you're Louisville to, to, to stop the slide that you're on. Uh, if you look across the landscape of the ACC, you know, Clemson losing last week I think opened a bit of a window. Uh, NC State is still in a really good position as far as the ACC Atlantic is concerned. But I, I don't know that any of us expect them to go undefeated throughout the ACC. And so while the, fa- the, the, the hope for uh, an Atlantic Division title is, is faint, it's still alive and even more so now that Clemson lost. So to me, I, I think the motivation lies looking forward. I think that, that they see that there's, there's a window, uh, that they've got some positive momentum after beating Duke last week. 
Uh, you're coming home against a team that, like we said, is struggling. I think that they they want. To, don't get me wrong. They they really really want to win this game, and I, and I'm sure that you know making right for what happened last year, it, it, it wouldn't be a bad thing. But I think they're more motivated by what lies ahead rather than what you know anything that happened last year. Well, and I, I too, Tim, think that it has much more to do with who beat who as opposed to who lost. I mean, no one would have expected Syracuse to beat Clemson, and certainly no one would have expected Boston College to beat Louisville, which means if you're a Florida State fan, you know, Clemson needs to lose again. You know, NC State needs to lose again. They play other ACC opponents, and now we've seen at least last week in a snapshot that some of these ACC opponents can rise to the occasion. Absolutely. You know, if you're a Florida State fan, yeah, I think it's only natural to say that, hey, if, if Boston College can beat Louisville and, and Syracuse can beat Clemson, there's no good reason that Florida State can't believe that they can beat Louisville and Clemson as well. Now, of course, the other side of that is that maybe Syracuse and Boston College are a little better, little better than we thought, too. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think it's more the other way and that the, uh, your main competition in the ACC Atlantic, aside from, of course, NC State, uh, looks a lot more vulnerable than they did two or three weeks ago. Now, by, by no means am I predicting, and I don't think you hear either Tom or I predicting that AC, that uh, Florida State now has a great shot at the ACC championship game in Charlotte, but it just does change the paradigm a little bit. Absolutely. No, like you said, it's not a great shot, but it is still a shot. They're still in the mix. They're still in the hunt. And I think, you know, the message that you have to, to send to the team and, the, and that I think that, you know, actually should be pretty easy to embrace. It's like, look, you, you see what happens around the league. You see what's happened around the country, really, with everybody. You know, you know, the last weekend was crazy with all the upsets. String some wins together. Maybe even win the rest of your games. And, and let's, you know, once that's over, let's turn around and see, see where things stand. You know, things they have a way of working out that if you do that and, and, and string some wins together, especially with some of the opponents that you have left on your schedule uh, with Clemson and Louisville and some of the other ones, you could be pretty surprised and, and pretty pleased at where you stand by the first week of December. It's the stringing some wins together part of that equation that has everybody concerned, though, Tim. So to string, well, to string them together, that means you've got to beat Louisville this week. And here's where my concern is, and Keith will weigh in. So Florida State defensively, if you look at the last couple of weeks, they've simplified things. They have played more man than zone. And if you play man against Louisville, you are not facing the line of scrimmage when Lamar Jackson takes off running with the football. And so that's where my concern is. In, in, in other words, they're going to have to play some zone there or put a spy on on him, which they haven't typically done. So how do you see them attacking him or trying to contain him or, what, well, uh, or, or trying to tackle him 30 yards downfield, whatever the appropriate phrase is? Right, right. No, I, uh, I, I don't know that I have an answer for that. And, and I, I think I'm not alone. I don't know that many defensive coordinators, uh, if any, have figured that out. I'm, I'm curious to see – how Florida State uses Derwin James in this game. Of course, we all remember that he wasn't available uh, in that Louisville game last year. And not only that, but it was their first game without him. And so they didn't really have time to, to figure out the best way to put everybody in position without Derwin James. Um, I don't know if, uh, if they're going to spy him, but I, I suspect that Derwin's going to be pretty important when it comes to, to containing Lamar Jackson. I think you got to trust your other defensive backs to kind of con- contain those receivers. And Louisville's receiving core this year is, is not a strength. It's certainly not as good as it was last year. Uh, and so trust those guys to make those plays and then allow Derwin to sort of, I don't know if freelance is the word, but just sort of use his in- instincts if that makes any sense. To me, you know, I, again, I don't think that Derwin would have been a 40-point difference against Louisville last year, but I think he would have been a big difference. And so if we say that, that Derwin is back and that Louisville's not quite as good as they were last year, uh, maybe he can be the difference. I think he's going to play a key role 
whatever that may be. Like I said, I don't know if it's going to be just a, a true devoted spy on every play, but but I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of trusted him to have, you know, one eye on the play and one eye on the quarterback and, and sort of move as he sees fit. Well, here, here's another change that I believe Coach Kelly will make, uh, and it sounds uh, a little counterintuitive, but I think they'll go a lot more dime than nickel. And instead of going two-man, where they go man underneath with two safeties back, they're going to go straight man. That brings those safeties up closer to the line of scrimmage because you don't want to try to be tackling this guy 15 yards past the line of scrimmage. So I think you can still stay in man, but you change how you schematically do the man and have a chance at at keeping him uh, in the pocket and throwing the ball. And when he does escape, you've got another body or two that are a little closer to the line of scrimmage to try to run him down. That's how I would attack it. Makes sense to me. And, and you know, to dovetail with what you're saying, that also means that you're probably bringing Derwin James closer to the line of scrimmage. Exactly, exactly. Which I think is, a, which I think is, is probably a pretty good plan. Uh, I would agree with that. You know, for all the talk about Derwin not living up to the hype, which he hasn't had the splash plays, he's still leading the team in tackles right now, which actually surprised me when I look at that because it feels like teams have gone away from him so much. All right, Tim. Well, and, and let's, let's digress just a minute on Derwin, if that's all right. You, you mentioned the, the lack of splash plays, and you're right about that. But, man, if you go back, think about how different things could have been. And I understand the, you know, the coulda, woulda, shoulda. But think about how close he was to an interception and probably a pick six against Alabama. Uh, think about you know he had the interception against Wake Forest that was a spectacular play that was taken away by Again, against NC, NC State. Sorry, right, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have changed that game. Yeah, it was a, probably what we all think was a pretty dicey pass interference penalty. Was close to an interception against Miami. Like you know, close to you know, as they say, doesn't count for a whole lot. But it's not like he hasn't been in position. I think he just kind of hit the wrong side of the coin a couple times. Yeah, well, to me, the bigger thing is, and Trey Marshall's been out and. Uh, that's been part of it. They've had to leave him back at safety, and they haven't walked him up or brought brought him in a in a in a rush roll on third down like I thought we might see more of this year. So he doesn't have sacks or he hasn't knocked a ball free that sort of thing. It's just it's just interesting to think how close he was. I mean, you can make a case. Now I don't know who knows how the rest of those games play out, but if those if if he hangs onto those balls against Alabama and NC State, I mean those games could be completely different. But neither here nor there. Well, here's one for you, and then we'll get to rapid fire, Tim. Okay. Keith and I like to show up every Wednesday and try to make people feel better. Now, I know this is not advanced metrics and, you know, yards and points per play and per possession. You could argue all this. But that said, Alabama's lowest point total this year came against who? Florida State. Yep. NC State's lowest point total this year came against who? I'm going to guess Florida State. Miami's lowest point total this year came against who? Florida State. Yeah, there you go. So, again, I'd realize possessions and yards and points per play and all that. Uh, by the way, the second lowest total for Wake Forest and Duke because uh, Miami held Duke to six, FSU held them to ten. Uh, Wake Forest scored 14 on Clemson and 19 on FSU. So that's not to say the defense is playing as well as it should. It is to say that they're playing better maybe than what we're giving them credit for when you look at that. I think the big picture definitely is really good, and, and I think any comparisons to, to last year are really, really unfair. I think, you know, where people are frustrated, I think the players are probably frustrated, and Jimbo made reference to it after Duke on Saturday, is some of the situations, the individual situations uh, that are still not as tight as you'd like to see. I think back to the third and long uh, against Duke that went for, what was the 57-yard gain on third and 17. Those are the types of things you want to see tightened up. But overall, I mean, you know, I, I think the defense is playing a lot better than, than they're getting credit for. All right, so those questions didn't even count. I wasn't going to inflate your rapid-fire score, but first... No, let's, come on, I need all I can get. No, I wasn't going to give you the automatic three there. Let's listen to last week. Here's rapid-fire. Will FSU score points on its first drive of the game? Yeah. 
Will Jimbo go for at least one fourth down this week? No. Will Derwin James get his first interception of the season? No. Will Cam Akers score his first TD? Yes. Will a freshman wide receiver have a catch in this game? Yes. Florida State's defense is holding opponents to 32% conversion rate on third down. So will Duke be over or under, and I'm actually going to set it at 35%. Under. Florida State's only converting 30% of its offensive third down conversion, so over under 35% for FSU in this game. Under, and Duke has one of the best third down defenses in the country, by the way. Will Coach K attend the game? No. The Hoops team scored 30 points in the first half last year at Cameron Indoor. Will the football team score more than 30 in this game period? Yes. All right, you started hot, cooled off, and we we gave you the Coach K thing. We really don't know if he was there or not. We're just assuming. Well, he we assume he wasn't because we had we saw no person walking around with a Brinks armored vehicle carrying their money behind them. Yeah, so. and I, I would like to add, Tom, if you'll include that, I, if you remember, I did text you Wednesday night to amend my thirty point prediction after doing some more uh, more research on Duke's defense. So I feel like I should get half credit for that. You you should, and that's right. And see, and I told you my response to you was. You'll have to remind me of that on the show, and you just did. You, go. so you got six and a half right and I'll two and it. a half wrong. That's, that's good. That's, that's, that might be the best. Wow, you know you are you are maturing as this semester goes on. All right, that said, because I deducted fifty percent of your raw score for turning it in late. Plus, there's the tardy <laughs> and attendance and all that that gets factored in later. <laughs> all right, here we go. This week's rapid fire: number of touchdowns for Lamar Jackson, rushing and passing. Over under is three and a half. Where are you going? Over. Will this be the last time FSU faces Louisville with Lamar Jackson? Yes. Will this be the last time FSU faces Louisville with Bobby Petrino? Ah, that's a good one. Yeah, I think so. TD catches for Auden Tate. The over-under is at a half. Over. Will FSU score over 30 points? Well, I hope so. That's not an answer. Yes. The total is 59 and a half for this game. Over or under? I gotta do some math. Over. All right. If you break it down, it's like thirty-three twenty-seven FSU based on a six or seven point spread, is what the what they're saying. That seems like a pretty low number, really, doesn't it? Uh, I think the number will be higher, but yes, yes. Uh, so this one's going to be hard to score. But uh, number of Louisville defenders that are trucked by Cam Akers. Oh my gosh! Uh, Over under at one and a half. Under asking for more than one of those a game is pretty tough now, but I do. I think I'll get one. Okay. Timeout's taken because someone's not lined up right. Offense, defense, or special teams. Over unders one and a half. Oh come on, man! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going with the under. Okay. Oh. All right. I've I've expanded this one to give him a better chance. Will Derwin James have an INT or a sack? No. Aguayo's made eleven straight field goals. Will he miss one this week? Nah, man, he's dialed in. Will there be a new punt returner for FSU? No. All right. This one this one will be tough as well, but there's a parachute jump before the game, Tim. And I'm not going to ask you about the uh, aerodynamics of parachutes like we did when we talked about By the way, the Tim, have you ever parachuted? I haven't. I'd really like to sometime. You're a nut. We should do that. No. That'd be fun. Be, uh, I ain't jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> That's a that's a whole we could do a whole segment on that. Uh, 
row bonding. I think it's a good idea. So this again, this is front row bonding. That's what it would be, or elimination, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> um, number of jumpers, and I don't know how many are jumping. I'm gonna we're gonna go with three because normally there's you know there's three a, or maybe four. There's an FSU flag. There's an American flag. Somebody's, somebody's got, got, got a football. Football. So we're gonna say there's three. Number of jumpers who hit the Seminole Head logo this week. Hmm. One. Okay. And most importantly, wins for FSU this Saturday over under a half. I got a good feeling about this, and I'll take the over. There we go. Tim Linnefeld is fired up, dialed in. Tim, have you noticed that rapid fire has expanded? There's like 12 questions oh, in that. I know, right? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I can't figure out if it's more opportunities for me to fail or more opportunities for me to speed. I'm not well, sure it's just like Florida State now. only had eight possessions against Duke. Tom is predicting they'll have 11 or 12 possessions against Louisville. I think that's probably fair. It's hopefully it's just a, a longer. Uh, it, it's for our our listenership, which grows by the tens, maybe each week. I say if, uh, <laughs> to, be, to be entertained. If, if James Whiteman doesn't start throwing more passes that hit the ground, uh, they, you know they're going to be playing three hour games every week. Yes, if, he, if if only one pass hits the ground again this week, that should be very good. It could be yep. bad, but it should be very good. Tim. I, I, I think it's better it's better than it is bad. Yes, I would agree. Appreciate it, Tim. You got it, guys. All right, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Coming up later on in the show, we'll clue you in on a little bit of a backstory on how the uh, the one and only Tim Linnefeld got his start. Or, or, or Anne rose so quickly through the ranks. To the prominence that is his position here on Front Row Knowles. We'll explain that uh, a little bit later. Take a break. Come back after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Front Row Knowles, Tom and Keith with you. I'll remind you that uh, we do this show each and every Wednesday at 6 o'clock. You can stream us live on the WTSM app. Subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Or head to ESPNTallahassee.com under the Audio Vault, find the drop-down menu, and you can click on the archives. You can follow some of us on Twitter, at underscore Tom Block or at Front Row Knowles. Or hashtag homie don't play. Or that, and that's how you'll find Keith Jones. KJ, uh, we're going to move from talking Florida State here to talk bigger picture NCAA in light of uh, the North Carolina issue or non-issue that got resolved last week but before we do so anything that uh, we need to clean up from our conversation with tim no i i think uh, there's a, a growing suggestion that uh, the florida state defense is not playing with a lot of effort and a lot of heart i don't i don't know what defense they're looking at the one i'm looking at is they're just making individual mistakes and uh in very inopportune times i don't i don't think long. i don't think effort's a question it's different. i never thought effort to me was a question. it's a lack of confidence or conviction and there's it, just a hesitancy yeah and so that could be doubt it could be not trusting the play call or your own abilities or your teammate there's just to me it's for example this game saturday if lamar jackson you know 
breaks a 46-yard touchdown on the first drive of the game, that becomes a hang the head, here we go again. Whereas if you get a stop on the first drive and make a punt, all of a sudden it goes the other way. And it just feels like it's fragile right now that way. And I, and I would agree with that. And I think it, it's much like we used to say all the time about starting younger players that just haven't had experience you know they've not been exposed to all the verities of things that can go on and therefore they'll be a step behind and in this game at least at this level he who hesitates is lost uh, and as a result it looks like they don't know what they're doing uh, but I, I agree with you I don't think effort has ever been an issue I've never personally been uh, terribly concerned about the scheme uh, and I think it's been a great move at least the last couple of weeks to go a lot more man coverage than zone and uh, i think if you tweak how you do your man coverage against louisville you can continue that trend uh but but we won't know till about three thirty, quarter till four or or if we play a quick game like we did against duke we'll know at about uh 257 that was nice that was, was one upside it was. That was one upside for sure um all right the north carolina thing so we're gonna have a, a guy with some interesting perspective join us next segment that is andrew carter who's covered this whole university of north carolina academic scandal for the news and observer at raleigh and the charlotte observer but you may remember the name and much of his work because he was on the florida state beat as an orlando sentinel writer when fsu had its academic issues so i don't know that he set out to be known as the academics guy and uh and that's selling him way short because he's a very talented writer but it just so happens that he was here for florida state he was there for north carolina and the obvious question in light of what happened last week is um if north carolina got nothing maybe fsu should should uh, type up a letter and suggest that those wins come back and the bowl streak and that sort of thing well two things number one uh, remind our listeners that maybe we're not aware that uh, the NCAA had uh, initiated an investigation against North Carolina over a department within their academics, African-American studies, in which it was alleged that students, athletes and non-athletes, students were given preferential treatment. Uh, Some things went on. It got carried on for a longer period of time than normal uh, for these types of investigations. But last week, uh, the ruling came down from the NCAA, and they found no repeat no no zero nada infractions and the rationale was that the ncaa agreed with the university of north carolina's defense which said this is an academic issue amongst our institution this is not an athletic issue within the athletic department and therefore the ncaa said we don't have jurisdiction therefore no infractions they did one to be fair they did have one individual at north carolina that was slapped with what we call a show cause um, uh, tag, which means that individual cannot be hired in another athletic-related uh, institution without showing cause why it's a good idea uh, to the NCAA. So that piggybacked with what happened at Penn State relative to the NCAA investigation as to what went up there on up there with Sandusky and how that tainted Coach Paterno prior to his death and now after his death, in which the NCAA has reversed itself in several of the instances, now leads us back to your conversation about Florida State got slapped with infractions as a result of the music course academic thing. And should FSU ask the NCAA to revisit that uh, i wholeheartedly 100 percent up and down jump as high as you can say yes you should and uh, one of the conversations that you and i had was well where should that be 
instigated from? Is that something that uh, A.D. Wilcox should instigate, or is that something that should come from the highest level, i.e. President Thrasher's office? And I'll go out on a limb, and then we'll back down and look at it a little more closely. But I'm telling you, this needs to come from Thrasher's office. This needs to come from the academic side of Florida State University saying what happened here is absolutely the same that happened to North Carolina, but we've got two different types of penalties. That, to me, has been what the issue is with NCAA enforcement all along, is that there's no sentencing guidelines, if you will. Uh, Well, and they've been their worst enemy, again, to belabor the point. Remember, they did the investigation at Miami, and because they botched the investigation, they shut the investigation down. When every one of us knows that there were issues down there that were certainly NCAA violations, but because the way the NCAA right, staff right. So they conducted couldn't use, it, they couldn't use the evidence. Keystone cops. I know. They don't have subpoena power, and that's a big part of it, too. So it's not to excuse what happened at Florida State because two wrongs don't make a right. No. But when there's unequitable uh, – Punishment. Punishment. That, that's where the question comes in. So we're setting all this, uh, and Andrew Carter may disagree when we talk to him. I haven't, I haven't previously discussed this with Intentionally, him. Intentionally, we have not discussed it. Yeah, so, so I don't know where, what his opinion will be on it. Uh, I'm actually going to read from one of his former colleagues, not a person that FSU fans generally like to cite, but this is Mike Bianchi in the Orlando Sentinel, and this was a couple months ago, long before there was nothing issued uh, – to North Carolina, he says, and I'm reading directly from his column, he says, the differences are many. FSU was guilty of one bogus class for a couple semesters. UNC had an entire bogus department for a couple of decades. FSU self-reported its one fraudulent class. UNC's widespread scandal was only discovered because of incredible reporting by the Raleigh News and Observer. FSU willingly cooperated with the NCAA. UNC has tried to whitewash its scandal and has dug in its heels during an NCAA investigation that's been going on seven years. So obviously, that's a column. That's his opinion on it. Uh, I think there's many in the Florida State community that would share similar feelings to that. And again, it doesn't excuse what happened here. I do think when you look at it, though, the, the wins are a topic of conversation because of Bobby Bowden, who is not going to co- catch Joe Paterno, regardless of whether you get the wins back or not. But they lost wins across 10 sports, including some in baseball, where, oh, by the way, there's a baseball coach who's pretty close to getting the all-time wins mark. Uh, they lost, uh, you know, the NCAA doesn't officially recognize the bowl streak, which is, I think, this year would tie the longest in the history of the NCAA. It's either we if it has are already, tied. I, I, I can't remember 35. if we are tied or, or maybe we are tied and it's going to break it out. I think we are tied with Nebraska at 35. Their streak ended in 14 or 04, whenever it was. So if we were to go to a bowl game this year, that would be 36. That would set the streak. I believe that's the correct answer. Right. So it's a significant streak. And then you have a track national championship was forfeited in there too. And meanwhile, North Carolina is still flying the flags of two national championships in men's basketball, their primo sport, that were won during this thing. So that's all that's up for discussion. I don't know how you broach it. The Committee on Infractions, it's a committee. It changes people. Uh, so it's different folks that sat on the committee that made this decision than who made the decision for Florida State. But anyway, that's the backdrop for it. And uh, Well, I'll tell you one conspiracy theory. The, the uh, commissioner of the Southeastern Conference was the chair of this particular infraction committee. Correct. And what highly profile conference, i.e. the Southeastern Conference, has a pretty high profile, nasty investigation going on with one of its member institutions right now, i.e. Ole Miss. Hmm. If you're a conspiracy theorist, 
Maybe the SEC commissioner took it light on North Carolina and hopes that the next committee will take it light on the SEC. Well, the the good news there is that there surely will be another issue in the SEC, like Auburn popped up last week related to academics or whatever. So, I mean, there'll be plenty of at-bats there. I have I have no, no worries about that. <laughs> so we've gone from conspiracy theories to I'm going to tell you my opinion about a conference. <laughs> <laughs> there you go of course the sec is no longer the premier conference in college football so they don't dominate all the headlines i'm sorry why did, did danny Cannell come on this show what all happened? right let's get andrew carter on the line after this we'll come back and uh instead of our meandering here we'll get somebody who's in the know on this to, to comment on it when we come back on front row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We welcome you back to Front Row Knowles for this segment. Anyway, it's sort of Front Row Tar Heels and Knowles as we're going to go back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline and say hello to Andrew Carter, who covered Florida State for a number of years for the Orlando Sentinel and uh, for the last several years has been covering the University of North Carolina and the ACC for the News and Observer and Charlotte Observer. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, we appreciate it because this will be an interesting conversation. Before we get into it, though, you may not realize that our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, who joins us each oh, and yeah. every week, uh, <laughs> wanted to make sure that we gave a tip of the cap your direction because he, he basically said that from his gopher days with you, he is now elevated to the lofty perch uh, at which he resides. <laughs> well, that's great to hear. Yeah, Tim is a good buddy of mine, and uh, you know I've been happy to follow his progression, and obviously he helped me out a great deal back when I was covering the Seminoles, like you said, uh, for the Orlando Sentinel. So it's good to see him doing some good things. Andrew, I think his direct quote was, without Andrew Carter, I would not be at the pinnacle of my mediocre career. <laughs> <laughs> no, I he feel did. like I should apologize to him. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. He did say something to the effect of, I probably wouldn't be in this business if it wasn't for Andrew, and I'm not sure if... I uh, definitely should apologize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's... We, we Keith and I spent last segment trying to, to give a basic overview of the North Carolina situation for some of our listeners that may not have followed it closely. I'm sure we did a disservice to it. So I, I'm just going to quote one of the the headlines that, that I saw in the News and Observer when I looked online. And it, the headline said, how the hell did Carolina get away with this? And so I, I'll, I'll start there. And uh, I, I guess the short answer is sort of they argued on a technicality that this is out of the NCAA's jurisdiction, but I'll let you try and fill in some some blanks there. Yeah, I mean, you know, basically that is the crux of UNC's argument, you know, from the very beginning of this saga. And this has been an on-again, off-again saga for many years. You know, UNC had a NCAA investigation that started in 2010 into the football program, impermissible benefits involving agents. There was a tutor that, you know, did some uh, academic improprieties with some kids. And so they went through that. That ended in 2012. And around the end of that, you know, some more details started emerging about these uh, bogus African studies classes, these independent studies. Uh, long story short, you know, basically they were lecture classes disguised, uh, or they were independent study classes disguised as lecture classes. Basically required a paper. They had no faculty involvement, no real instruction. 
and they were filled with a very high percentage of athletes relative to the number of athletes in the student body. I think the general number of total athletes at UNC in the student body is something like you know less than five percent of the enrollment here uh, are athletes, and yet you know upwards of thirty, forty percent of the, the enrollments in these classes were athletes. And so you know this started to trickle out. Uh, you know there are questions about the, the quality of the work. Uh, how the university basically used these classes to keep kids eligible in basketball and football and other sports. Uh, but the NCAA didn't do anything about it for a couple of years. And finally, they reopened the investigation in 2014. And like you said, UNC's argument has been all along that this was an academic matter. Uh, it was up to the UNC's accrediting agency to kind of you know, penalize the university in any way that it found appropriate. And that really it didn't fit into the NCAA bylaws. Uh, and that was the university's argument consistently throughout the past few years. And and basically, that's how the university won the case. The Committee on Infractions, which, as you guys know, is basically the judge and jury in NCAA infractions cases, pretty much looked at this, looked at the enforcement staff's case and said, I mean, we, we can't prove to a degree that, you know, academic violations happened according to the NCAA rulebook. And so basically... That's what it concluded, and it found that it couldn't sanction or penalize UNC in any way. And the big difference between this case and what happened at Florida State, if you can pin it down to one thing, I mean, they're very different cases in terms of the scope, the number of years, the number of people involved. But if there's one huge difference, it's that Florida State admitted that this was academic fraud in the eyes of the NCAA, and UNC always fought that point. UNC said this was not academic fraud in the eyes of the NCAA. And so when a university does that, there's very little the NCAA can do because, you know, its bylaws are set up that universities have to acknowledge and admit that something is academic fraud before the NCAA can really, you know, get involved and, and sanction universities and this and that. So that was the main difference. Andrew, how much was this decision swayed, in your opinion, by the fallout and and the things that were corrected, if, if that's the proper word, at Penn State? Yeah, I think there was some of that. I think there were some people at the NCAA who were afraid of another bad, uh, you know, legal loss. Um, you know, obviously the NCAA kind of acted outside of its own bylaws in that case, too, a very, a very serious criminal matter that happened at Penn State. Uh, but it didn't really go through the traditional infractions process. I don't even think there was a hearing with the committee on infractions. The NCAA in that case basically came out uh, and unilaterally just penalized Penn State with massive scholarship cuts, postseason bans, this and that. Uh, and then after a while, that was overturned through the threat of legal action. Uh, the NCAA basically had to walk back its penalties and acknowledge that it was wrong, and then it kind of overstepped its bounds. And in order for the committee on infractions to get what happened, to get to what happened at UNC, it was going to have to operate outside of the NCAA's bylaws and rulebook. And I think UNC made it quite clear that if it did that, you know, if the NCAA came down with postseason bans and uh, the vacation of victories, people talked about whether the 2009 national championship might be in jeopardy. You know, UNC made it clear that it was content to take this thing to court. Uh, and I do think that that had an effect for sure. Just putting the wraps on UNC, and then we'll concentrate more on FSU. Dis- despite everything you just laid out, were you surprised there was not even a slap on the wrist when the the punishment was announced, or no punishment was announced? I was surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my short answer is yes. I was surprised. I was more surprised today that the NCAA reopened this case years ago, just because I felt like it was so reluctant to get involved. 
Uh, but the second most surprising day to me throughout the saga was, yeah, it was last week when it came down that, I mean, nothing. <laughs> Not even like a probation or a fine. Uh, certainly, I expected after three different notices of allegations, after a three-and-a-half-year investigation, after a very contentious back-and-forth between the university's legal team and members of the NCAA enforcement staff, yeah, I mean, I thought there was going to be something. I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it did surprise me. At the lightest, I was expecting, you know, something like a fine or some kind of probation. But there again, you know, the, the committee looked at this and said, what what can we do? You know, our power is really limited here. There's nothing we can do with this situation. Uh, so after I had time to kind of read the report and understand the logic behind it, it did make some sense to me. Ultimately, aside from several years of, of negative press, did this hurt Carolina? Did it hurt their recruiting? Did it hurt their general student uh, enrollment, given that the accrediting agency got involved and sort of, you know, gave them a warning, if you will? Uh, or is it just, you know, the headlines of now we've turned the page and there's no big deal? I think it hurt. You know, I think it hurt, especially, and this is going to come off sounding kind of loopy because of what they've done in basketball the past couple of years, playing in national championship games and back-to-back seasons and winning it last April. But, you know, it did hurt their ability to recruit the kind of prospects in basketball that they're accustomed to getting. Uh, You know, the past couple teams that had so much success on the court were, you know, upper-class and senior-laden teams. You know, there's some irony there that, you know, maybe not getting some of these one-and-done types, you know, the top-end talent helped them on the court because it allowed some of these teams to gel. Uh, Football recruiting took a hit. I think you're seeing the fallout of some of that this year. I mean, these guys are one-and-six right now. They're having their worst season in a while. There's not much depth. Uh, they have had lots of injuries, but I think it did affect their ability to recruit football for a while. Uh, but, you know, and, and in addition to that, too, it has been just a huge, colossal embarrassment for the university. I mean, you mentioned the, the probation that they got from the accrediting agency. Uh, that was really kind of a, a very rare penalty. And you can say that it was only probation, but really that's kind of unheard of for uh, a university like UNC, a, you know, a, a top public school in this country and in the world, to be put on probation by its accrediting agency. So that was embarrassing. Um, but you know what, really? I mean, you look at their success in other sports, top to bottom, they're still a top-five athletic program. They're still highly ranked in all the academic rankings. I mean, you can certainly make the argument that really it didn't have all that much of an effect. Andrew, as we pointed out to our listeners, you were here during uh, Florida State's time, and uh, you, you mentioned uh, the key difference about Florida State admitting versus North Carolina not admitting. But now that now that the North Carolina case has been heard, and 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 it's been quote unquote settled, what is your personal opinion about the value of Florida State asking for their investigation to be reopened or revisited? And and maybe some of the penalties, like vacated losses, the national championship, and uh, and track, be revisited. What do you think Florida State's next step, if any, should be? I think they have a case. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how they would go about doing that. You know, I'm not sure what the what the steps would be. I mean, obviously, the NCAA's built-in infractions case mandates that the case pretty much ends after the appeals process, which FSU went through that back in 2000 eight or nine, I think, if I remember right, after after the original ruling that vacated some of the football program's wins and they got hit with some other penalties that I can recall. You know, they did appeal that and lost. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think the, the ruling in this specific case that happened at UNC, 
potentially opens the door for a lot of institutions that have been hit over the years in academic fraud, academic misconduct cases to question the entire system. I'm not sure what uh, means they have available to overturn anything. Um, you know, but if there's anyone there in Tallahassee who's interested in taking up FSU's case, you know, maybe their lawyers are looking into it. Uh, certainly that's the kind of thing that I think would at least have some kind of traction. Uh, I just don't know what the beginning point would be to kind of remedy some of that. If you're, you know, if you're wanting, if you're wanting to try to reinstate some of the victories that Bobby Bowden lost, for instance, I don't even know how you would go about doing that. Um, yeah, but I think they do have a compelling case in light of what happened at UNC. I think any school, again, that's been hurt by an academic fraud investigation can look at what happened at UNC and say, well, that the only difference here is one school admitted it, one school didn't. I mean, what kind of a system is that? And, you know, for sure, I would love to see Florida State challenge the system. I think that would be a great thing uh, because I do think that the football program and Bobby Bowden especially, in some respects, got a raw deal about 10 years ago. Well, and it was uh, it was actually ten sports that were forced to vacate wins. Yeah, we don't have time to go down that full road, but I just I wanted your your take on that since you, since you covered both of them. Uh, as long as we're in the the scandal uh, conversation here, is there any concern at all about the uh, the FBI hoops investigation in light of the fact that Carolina's got a guy committed who I I guess is in the middle of, of or is the reason that Miami's included in that list right now? They do, right? Yeah, they have a commitment right now from Nazir Little, who was one of the players, not specifically named but obviously the context clues, you can figure it out that it's this guy that allegedly Adidas uh, was trying to conspire to figure out a way to send him to Miami, funneling some money to different places, possibly Little's AAU coach. You know, from talking to people at UNC, there's not a tremendous amount of concern yet. Uh, And Little and his father, I believe, signed a sworn affidavit, went under oath recently and basically denied wrongdoing, denied taking any money. Um... You know, so that certainly helps quell any kind of concerns here at UNC. But I do think there are some people who are kind of taking a wait and see approach. This thing is still, you know, it's such in its early stages. I think we're still kind of gathering facts and trying to understand what exactly happened. Uh, you know, I think at this point, it seems based on what's come out, I think they feel good about his commitment and eventually getting him in school. But certainly, you know, that could change depending on whether it's proven that, you know, him or someone else in his family took money. If that can be proven, Certainly, that would put his eligibility uh, in some jeopardy. Aren't you glad you signed up to cover college athletics, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's kind of funny. I've been, you know, I've done a lot of these radio interviews recently, and I always kind of mention that that I've covered an ACC school for ten years, and literally for nine of those ten years, I've been dealing with some sort of NCAA scandal type thing, or you know, some investigations. Really, you know, I'm, I'm kind of been a free man for the past you know, four or five days since this ruling. or about Well, except that, you know, you're going to want to apply for your law degree based on the number of uh, rulings that you've read over the last 10 years. <laughs> I'm getting pretty good at it. I am. Well, and, and all this speaks to is the real reason that the ACC is at the top of the football pecking order or has surpassed the SEC, right? Because, I mean, you've been in the ACC and this is where you're making your living. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it. You know what? You're exactly right. They had to learn the master of the game and apparently they have. So. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can you can tip your hat to them. <laughs> it's not it's not all bad. You've you've gotten to cover uh, some championship runs on the on the hoops uh, side, and I'm sure there's been a couple Maui Invitationals or something in there. So I don't, right, I don't yeah. yeah I don't feel too bad for you, but we do appreciate your insight and uh, uh, thanks thanks again for joining us. Hope you're doing well. All right, guys. Thank you so much, Tom and Keith. I appreciate it, and uh, it's good to talk with you guys. Yeah, yeah, we'll see you down the road. All right, see y'all. 
That is uh, Andrew Carter, who covered Florida State uh, for a number of years for the Orlando Sentinel, now covers North Carolina and the ACC for the Raleigh News and Observer and the Charlotte Observer. A, a good writer, a very good writer, uh, and maybe as as good as anything, a very tenacious uh, person. When he latches on to wanting to know something, he generally has a very good track record of going out and figuring it out and getting it. And he says Florida State should get on board. That know how, that know how, what the procedure is, well, but uh, would agree with the concept that maybe it needs to be revisited. We've got a little bit of time in our last segment to uh, to maybe tie a bow or tie a knot on this conversation. Before we do so, I'll remind you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for all your power tool needs. A couple of locations to choose from, 3269 Crawfordville Highway, 1110 Stuckey Avenue, online at ctf.nu or call them at 580-1200. Maybe FSU could contact them for this do-it-yourself project to figure out how they can petition to get the winds back. We'll discuss that when we return on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Just a couple minutes as usual. We don't have enough time. But but going back to the crux of the issue, this is a quote from Greg Sankey, who's the SEC commissioner and the chair of the Committee on Infractions, in regard to the North Carolina thing. Quote, NCAA policy is clear. The NCAA defers to its member schools to determine whether academic fraud occurred, and ultimately the panel is bound to making decisions within the rules set by the membership, end quote. So to Andrew Carter's point, Florida State, when it self-reported, classified it as academic fraud, therefore the NCAA punished them. North Carolina, on the other hand, an 18-year history of a class that didn't really exist, they called it something different than academic fraud, and they have no penalty. So the question becomes... Can we do have a do-over? Yeah, I don't know that you want to open the investigation again, but you want to have them revisit the the penalty in light of other circumstances. And and I don't know that there is recourse because, like Andrew said, once you've appealed, you've appealed. There's not a Supreme Court for the appeal. I certainly would um, muster some resources and have some conversations about what options are. And if there is one, I would take it. It's pretty much principle at this point. I mean, getting Bobby exactly. his wins back does not mean that he's going to pass Joe Paw. The bowl streak, as we described, is significant. Mike Martin will take the wins as he chases the all-time. All the coaches will because all those coaches have a little asterisk in their media guide that says these wins don't count because of X. You know, So I'm sure they would all like to have that removed. Maybe we just get some white out. Well, you can do that. You can sort of ignore it. it the bigger issue, it's not just Florida State. Like Andrew said, any school who's – you know, been punished for what seems to be a lot less than what happened at Carolina has but to be I frustrated. Sure, I sure would hate for six or eight other schools to jump up and get this done and have it happen and then Florida State wait another year or two before they jumped on that bandwagon to get it corrected. I'd rather see us out in the front, but that's because I'm biased. You are. We we do call the show Front Row Knowles, which pretty much indicates the bias. As we, opposed to Seminole Sunday, which is the show we have on Sundays, if you're not aware. And that's the next time you'll hear from us. That'll be 9 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Sunday. We'll have a recap of this weekend's game against Louisville. Until then, have a great day, everybody. We'll be concealed in this